Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 153 of the Nasser Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. I hope you all had a wonderful week, coming into week number 14 of the NFL season. Episode coming out on Saturday this week instead of Friday. My apologies in advance uh, if that caused any inconvenience for y'all, but... You know, from the description, you could tell it's kind of a loose schedule. We used to be strictly on Saturdays. Now we're in the Friday-Saturday range, but getting the episode out there, ready to pregame, ready to break down Week 13's news and notes. Let's get started right away doing that by jumping right in to my standout seven. Let's get started with that with the bigger story. We had two AFC contenders drop big games this week. Let's talk about a bigger story. The Dolphins losing on the road to San Francisco's, I guess, technically third-string QB now, or the Kansas City Chiefs losing on the road to Cincinnati for the third consecutive time. Big threes coming through in this one. Let's get started with Miami. Um, Tua looked uncharacteristic in this game. Commentary team kept bringing it up, and I think the eye test showed it as well. Something looked a little bit off, which is kind of weird. I believe it was last week's episode, if not the week before, we talked about how there was the hype building around, oh, it's Mike McDaniel, and look at look at the relationship he has with Tua, and he's taken him to the next level, which I do believe he has. But in this game, something was just a little bit off. Now, is that because Mike McDaniel used to work for San Francisco, and perhaps prior to leaving to take the job in Miami, he was discussing what he could do or what he saw as strengths and or weaknesses of Tua Tungavailoa, who he knew would be his next QB with Kyle Shanahan and or some of the coaches there. Possible. Um, also possible that Tua just had the occasional poor game. It's As the game went on, it looked like Miami was kind of getting back into it. Turnovers came back to bite them. And uh, they were pretty one-dimensional during this game as well. I mean, you're trailing... 17-10 at half, it's not the worst. I know San Francisco's defense is pretty darn good in all facets, but you run the ball eight times the entire game. You're not really you're not really giving the defense a lot to guess at back there. Um, we'll talk about Brock Purdy a little bit more extensively later. Obviously, we're going to discuss the Jimmy G injury and the news that he may not be done for the year, but we'll keep this Miami-centric, and then we'll move on to Kansas City. Um... This was a monkey off the back game for the Chiefs, and unfortunately for them, the monkey is still firmly planted. Um, Patrick Mahomes goes 16 to 27, not his best game. 223, not his best game. Uh, that being said, they're winning this game 24-17 coming into the fourth quarter, and Samaje P. Ryan had a tremendous game. Remember, Cincinnati did not have their starting back in Joe Mixon. Jamar Chase was coming back from injury and still let up the Chiefs for close to 100 yards and also to the tune of a taunting penalty, but what are you going to do? Um, it's intriguing. I came away from this game wondering. I'm like, am I going to walk away from a third straight loss thinking, you know what, they're just better than them? And I, I don't think they are. I truly don't think Cincinnati, especially without Joe Mixon, is this much better than Kansas City that they should be 3-0 and against them. I can't explain it. I mean, you can make the argument Kansas City 
should have won their regular season game. Fair. You could make the argument they shouldn't have blown the lead in the championship game. Also fair. Big ups to the Bengals. Um, this is going to come back to bite Kansas City potentially when we start to talk about playoff seeding because now they're nine and three, tied with the Buffalo Bills at nine and three. Miami's right there at eight and four. Obviously, this moves the Bengals to eight and four. Baltimore's eight and four, but they've got some question marks we need to discuss. This is certainly a bigger loss for the Kansas City Chiefs. I get the argument for Miami. Maybe it puts a little bit of doubt into the mind of Tua. I'm not so sure it will. And the next time they face off with San Francisco, if they do, will either be another season or in the Super Bowl. And if you're Miami Dolphins and you're in the Super Bowl, I think you're pretty happy with how things have turned out. Number two in the standout seven. Let's keep it negative. You know, this is something I've noticed. All year, we've been real negative with the bigger story. I haven't been praising as many wins. Is that because the the big boys aren't showing out as much? I mean, we didn't want to do bigger wins San Francisco with their third-string QB or Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. No, that wasn't it. I, you know, maybe that's a little reflective on me. I don't know. Maybe I'm more negative on certain teams this year. Let me know what you guys think. Maybe I'm just blowing smoke. You know what I mean? Comment section, if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Number two, we are New York-centric, as you know. A bigger story, the Jets lost to the Vikings or the Giants tie with Washington. It's going to be hard for me to pick one, but we wanted to touch on both of these games for obvious reasons. The Jets almost pulled off the comeback. We're talking 20-6 to at halftime. I'm like, yeah, you know, the Vikings, they just got caught cold by Dallas. They're a pretty darn good team. Second best team in the NFC, easily, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, it comes down to two late drives where Mike White has this team in the red zone, right? Now, you don't want to throw the ball 50-plus times with a guy who is your backup quarterback who is now being anointed the guy. Um, But when you consider... I mean, they traded for James Robinson, and he has been a non-factor for the most part, which is intriguing. Zonovan Knight looked pretty good on the ground, 15 carries for 90 yards. Can't, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Garrett Wilson looked pretty great out there. Corey Davis contributing in one of his biggest receiving games since he came over to the Jets. Um, It just wasn't enough. And I don't think Kirk Cousins played tremendously. I don't think Dalvin Cook played tremendously. He played all right. 20 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson had seven catches for under 50 yards. This was a very winnable game for the Jets. And I think, though I opened it up by talking about negativity, I think this is an impressive loss. I know we don't live in the world of moral victories, and Jerry Jones was chided repeatedly for saying it, and you can argue whether that was right or wrong. But if you're a Jets team that was supposed to be a basement dweller, and you're on your backup quarterback, and you're wondering if you made the right move, You go into Minnesota against a top two seed in the NFC and you lose by one score and you're right there with them at the end. It's a moral victory in my book. Next, Giants football. Giants playing at home in this game and, uh, yeah, they kind of blew it. I mean, they're winning. Taylor Heineke's going for it. Fourth and whatever inside his own territory late in the fourth quarter and he made the play, right? He made the play. This game goes on. The Giants get the ball back. Under two minutes here. Tie game in regulation. They go deep shot to Slayton. He drops it. All right. Fair enough. It was a tough play. Then they go deep shot a second time. I don't know if this is on 
the coordinator. I don't know if this is on uh, the quarterback or what. But to go back-to-back deep shots in that situation, when you're going to give the ball back to the other team if you don't get a first down, oh yeah, by the way, there's still well over 90 seconds left. That's not it. That is n- That can't be the go-to play call. And then they wind up, you know, in overtime, they go back and forth with possessions, but no team really threatened too, too much. I mean, Washington pushed towards field goal range. The Giants got towards field goal range towards the tail end. But I don't know. It it was weird. It was weird. Uh, This game deserved to end in a tie. And I think, though I've been big on the Washington Commanders in recent weeks, I think this game showed perhaps we were a little too high on them. Maybe they're not ready for primetime. Heineke put up good numbers. Brian Robinson played well. McLaurin did well, as he always did. As he always does, excuse me. But here they are, end of the day, against a team in the New York Giants that are, you know, out over their skis. They wind up tying this game. This rematch in eight-ish days is going to be gigantic in determining who's going to be an NFC wildcard team and who's going to be sitting at home disappointed with how their season ended. For that reason, I'll go bigger disappointment of the two. We had bigger loss as the name Giants didn't lose. Um, The Giants one is a big disappointment, but you sneak away with a tie in a game that you could have easily lost, although you could have easily won as well. Um, The Jets, huge moral victory. So I guess bigger W, even though they lost, goes to the New York Jets. Number three in the standout seven, bigger blowout. Eagles blowing out the Titans, or the Cowboys obliterating the Colts. Now, this is two NFC East, AFC South matchups, and somehow we wind up with two eviscerations, right? The Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now, and they were coming into this game as well. Um, Leading rusher for the Titans in this game is Ryan Tannehill at 34 yards. Jalen Hurts throws for 380 yards. This is a Philly team that's strongest suit, in my opinion, is their running game. Their defense is pretty good. Hertz is pretty good with this passing game as well. They have weapons, but their running game is really the ge- you know the engine of the team. I would say not so fast. They run for 67 yards in this game. They throw for 380 plus. Three touchdowns, no picks for Hertz. AJ Brown has two touchdowns in this game. Devontae Smith has a touchdown in this game. Oh, remember him? Yeah, he's their second option, the guy that was the Heisman Trophy winner. Sheesh. This this Eagles team is really good. Like, I said it before we did our midseason episode where we're handing out awards, and I said, you know, with the way the Eagles are playing, it'd be hard to not give MVP to Jalen Hurts just by de facto, right? By default. It'd be hard not to give Coach of the Year to Nick Sirianni just based on the way that they're playing. Well... Keep playing this way, and that'll be the case for the entire league. Now, we got an interesting one before we touch on the Cowboys. The Titans fired their general manager after this game, and there was a quote AP News has here, Associated Press, obviously. Titans owners saw no need to wait to fire the general manager. And the prevailing rumor, for obvious reasons, is they fired him the day after the guy he traded scored two touchdowns on them, and they got blown out. Now... For all intents and purposes, the assumption is the Titans are going to win the AFC South, right? 
the Cowboys blowing out the Colts certainly helped that case. I don't think the Jaguars are ready to be a playoff team, and I don't think anyone would argue that of the Texans, who I think were eliminated before the season even started. So, it's a little weird. I mean, listening to some of the opinions that have come out, it said, oh, they're sending the message that just winning first place isn't enough. Well, what else can you do? I mean, you look at this Titans team, they're predicated on the run, there are times where they've gotten into games where Derrick Henry's stymied, and, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. This was kind of a game like that. You take a look at the fact the Eagles were out in front relatively early, right? They're up 21-10 and half. Titans put up zero points in the second half. Derrick Henry goes 11 carries for 30 yards. You look at the receiving core that was put out there, and I can understand the disappointment. Um, it's just the way that it is. It's kind of odd to see it midseason, but... All in all, I wouldn't say it was a bad decision, I guess. It's just kind of odd to see, considering this team is still one of the better teams in the AFC. I don't know. A little weird. Let me know what you guys think. Is this going to become the norm? Are we going to see coaches fired of winning teams? I mean, you look in sports like Major League Baseball, the Toronto Blue Jays were around 500, I believe, when they fired their head coach. Or, excuse me, their manager, rather when they fired their manager, and then they went on to make the postseason with an interim manager, right, who went on to, I believe, get the job. You look at the Phillies, similar thing. They went on to make a run with an interim manager all the way to the World Series. Is that going to become the norm in the NFL or in other sports? I don't know. What you guys think? Dallas over the Colts. This was a close game for about 45 minutes, and I mean in-game time. This game was 21-19 going into the fourth, and then the Colts completely collapsed. I, I won't go through the play-by-play. -play. Um, the run game for Dallas was great. Dak had three touchdowns, and he threw for under 200 yards. I mean, this Dallas team is damn good. The only reason they're not in first place is because they're in the division that has the best team in football, and they're clicking right now. They really are. Um, as far as the bigger blowout, I don't know. I would say Philly... Because you could make the argument that it, it did lead to the firing of the GM. And if that's the case, it may have impacted the trajectory of the Tennessee Titans for years to come. Which is kind of massive, but we're taking a lot of leaps there. I'll go with Dallas, because it sent the message that, hey, the Dallas Cowboys are still here, still ready to compete. We're just in a pretty hard division here in the NFC East. And a bonus one, by the way, while we're here, uh, a better comeback. Tampa Bay or the L.A. Rams. Yeah, I know. Very odd. Let's get into it. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers trailing by, what, 13 with 5 to play, 4 to play, 3 to play? We saw the Mark Ingram play where Mark Ingram could have got a first down on third down. Comes out after the game that he was injured. Perhaps that played a role. He didn't take that excuse, I don't believe, from what I've heard. But came out after the fact that he's, you know, going through a little bit of an injury. So I guess we can understand why he was ready to just get out of bounds and keep it chugging, then the Saints defense implodes, and, well, Tom Brady goes and does Tom Brady things. Um, they walk away with a win. It's a big comeback for them. You know, moves them even to 500. I would make the argument, incorrectly, mind you, the bigger comeback was the Rams, and here's why. I was saying a few weeks ago that I wouldn't be shocked if Josh McDaniels was a one-and-done in Vegas, with the fact that they've blown now four 13-point leads in one season, which had never been done, um, the Rams look impotent for most of the game, and then Baker Mayfield somehow 
not even knowing the playbook, drawing routes on the ball like he's in the schoolyard probably, orchestrates a 98-yard drive. Improbably? Sure. Impossibly? Yes. Um, it was massive. It was a massive victory for the Rams, and it's meaningless to them because they don't have the first-round draft pick anyway. They're not going to keep Baker Mayfield in all likelihood, though you never know. I thought maybe Jameis Winston would leave New Orleans, or maybe a couple years ago, Teddy Bridgewater would leave New Orleans after covering for Breeze, but he stayed. Who knows? Maybe uh, overvaluing here. Obviously, I was on Carolina. I thought Baker would do more. Maybe the coaching staff was, uh, was the problem. I've seen some Panther fans circulate that idea, especially with Matt Rule obviously being dismissed. And uh, I believe Coach McAdoo, formerly of New York Giants fame, was involved in that staff. And, uh, yeah, it didn't go so well for him in New York. So the bigger comeback win is certainly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers improving to 6-6. Six and six. When you take a look at around their division and the fact that the team trailing them is 5-8. and eight. So staying at 5-7 and seven, if they had lost, or moving to 5-7, and seven, I should say, would have made it a half-game lead with a game in hand, right? So they'd have to play that game to catch up to Atlanta. Now where they are, 6-6. Six and six. You look at their point differential in the year, they're negative two, by the way. Just putting that out there. But the Bucks staying in first place. Number four, technically five, I guess, right? Well, that, that could have been one to four, and then we could put these into four and five together. But, you know, either way, the numbers are elementary, right? We don't have a video element. We kicked around that idea, by the way. I've kicked around the idea of maybe adding a video element on YouTube or some other platform, some graphical stuff, some footage, but let me know what you guys think, if that's something you would want to see. Uh, otherwise, right now, we're pretty comfortable. Six seasons deep into audio only. Just letting it rock the way that we have it. Anyway, number four, or five, is Jimmy Garoppolo's injury for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo, I've said this before, is one of the better game managers in the league. I don't know who made that term, by the way, but it applies pretty well to Jimmy G. I mean, this season, you take a look at his stats, right? Sitting at a 67% completion percentage, pretty darn good. 7-3 seven, three, seven and three in starts, 16 touchdowns to four interceptions. Just four, right? Um... He was having a good year, folks. He was. He was having a better year this year than last year. Arguably having a better year this year than the year they went 13-3. and That year, 16 games, 4,000 yards, 27-13. and This year, turnovers are down. With another handful of games, he might have got to the t- mid-20s in touchdowns, right? Could have been interesting. Alas, he has a broken foot. I believe it might be a Liz Frank. But they said that surgery is not required and that it, he might be able to return in seven to eight weeks. If you start doing the math, we are in week 14 of the NFL season. Count on your fingers with me, if you will. One would be 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. We're at the end of the regular season. The wild card weekend, the divisional weekend, we are at seven weeks. Right? It could get interesting. Are we talking a championship game situation? Are we talking off the bench in the Super Bowl? Are we talking dressing as a backup, just in case things aren't going well for Brock Purdy? They brought in Josh Johnson, which I think is a good acquisition. He's been around for a long time. I thought they might be in on Baker. Evidently not. Obviously, the only team to put a claim in, supposedly, on Baker was the Rams. They would have claimed ahead of San Francisco anyway. So, 
Reportedly, Baker was confident he'd be claimed by the Rams, and he had his stuff packed and ready to go, which is intriguing. But, uh, I don't know. I think Baker's got talent. This isn't about Baker, but I think he's got talent. Too much talent to be out of the league a couple of years after leading a team to the playoffs. Um, granted, not the greatest showing in the playoffs if memory serves, or did they collapse that game? Well, either way. Not sure if... Let me, you know what? While we're here. While we're here, if we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield having a potential future in the NFL here, let's take a look at the postseason. Did he go to the playoffs? I believe he did. That's right. How could I forget? I knew this was the game. This is the the Pittsburgh Steelers collapse game that wound up 48-37, but it was 28-0 in the first quarter. Wow, this was... This feels like a lifetime ago, Steeler fans. It really does. And they lose by one score to Kansas City. I mean, anybody that can put that together deserves a spot in the NFL. Back to the matter at hand here. If you're San Francisco, what do you do? I would have kicked the tires on Jim, on uh, excuse me, Baker. You wouldn't have got him because of the claim order. Purdy seemed to be pretty competent out there. Um, Josh Johnson, decent backup option to have. There were people saying the Cam Newton route. Maybe, but at this point, I don't know if that's a door that's even open. You know, you dive further into QBs that haven't played in a while. I think we all know who I'm talking about. I don't know if that's necessarily an option you'd take at this point in the season, considering the amount of reps you'd have and or the amount of time to learn the playbook and such. They'll tough it out. They'll see what they can do. You know, see if they can have the Jeff Hostetler run that the Giants had or uh, Nick Foles with Eagles or, you know, Tom Brady. Worked out pretty well for him. He was a backup when he first came in. Obviously, different sample size, different timing. But it's a rough one for the 49ers, especially considering that he made the trade for Christian McCaffrey. And they're really in a situation where they're win now, win now, win now. I don't know. It's a tough one to see. Speaking of tough ones to see, number five or six, whichever, in the standout seven, quarterback-centric standout seven here. Lamar Jackson goes down, and the report was that, as we sit right now, Lamar Jackson is doubtful, unlikely to go against the Pittsburgh Steelers at not Heinz Field, a.k.a. Akersher Stadium, um, with a knee injury as listed on NFL.com. They're going to have to go with Tyler Huntley, and I'm going to be honest with you, Huntley didn't look that bad, you know, he didn't look that bad. 27 of 32. Is this accurate? This is Tyler Hunt. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got to confirm that number. 27 of 32, Tyler Huntley. Wow. I mean, five yards in attempt plus. But, like, talk about accuracy. 27 of 32 with an interception. He's not going to knock your socks off in terms of passing the ball. Last year in seven appearances, four games started. 65%. I'll give him the extra point one to round up. A thousand yards, three touchdowns, four interceptions, but he does have the mobility. 294 yards rushing in those games, two touchdowns. Um, he could do some of the things Lamar Jackson did for this offense. Is anyone going to come in and be Lamar Jackson 2.0? No, that's not likely. Um, but you don't have to completely retool your system and completely change the things you're working on here, right? So, interesting. I don't think they should go out outside of the system or outside of the quarterback room and make a move here. It fits. It makes sense. And I don't really think it hurts their chances too, too much. 
Huntley was all right. I mean, they went one and three in his starts, but I think he was an all right QB. You take a look at the game logs here. Stats obviously provided by Pro Football Reference, the leader in statistics in this regard. 26 of 36 in a win against the Chicago Bears. 28 of 40 in a loss by one point to Green Bay. 20 of 32 in a loss by one point to L.A., the Rams that is. 16 of 31 in a final game loss to Pittsburgh. Worst completion percentage in that one, obviously. Didn't throw a touchdown in those final two games. Um... Yeah, he also came off the bench against Cleveland, obviously in the, uh, I believe that was the infamous game where people were saying Lamar had to use the bathroom, obviously I don't think that was the case, 27-38 uh, to 38 and a touchdown in that one. The guy's a competent NFL quarterback, I think Baltimore's still got a good chance to make the postseason. We take a look right now at the AFC standings, right? We mentioned before, 1-2, and two, Buffalo, Kansas City, not shocking. Right now, Baltimore is the three seed with a tiebreaker lead over Cincinnati. So if they were to move down, let's take a look around. Titans coming in at the four seed, seven and five. Then we have the Dolphins at eight and four, the Bengals at eight and four, the Jets at seven and five, Chargers six and six. So sitting at eight and four is a very good position to be in with or without Lamar Jackson. Obviously, they'd like to have him. But with Huntley, I think they should still be in position to make at least a playoff push, if not a playoff appearance. Next up, let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons and the Houston Texans, two teams that I thought would be both in the gutter. Well, I was halfway correct. The Atlanta Falcons making a quarterback change, reportedly going with Desmond Ritter in their next game. That'll be in week 15 against New Orleans. That's an interesting one. What took them so long, some people would say. Um, The fact that they were, and technically still are, in it, in their division, would be my answer. Um, You take a look at the statistics that Mariota's racked up this year. 2,200 yards in 13 games, not tremendous. 15 touchdowns to 9 picks. They lose to Pittsburgh by 3. The passing game wasn't really much of anything. They lose to Washington by 6. Ditto, he hasn't thrown for over 200 yards in over a month. In fact, he's only thrown for over 200 yards three times this season, and two of those were week one and week three. You need to threaten with a passing game or have a dominant run game in defense realistically here in order to make a playoff push, which they believe they can do. Um, I'm not certain that would come via a wild card at this point, if I'm being completely honest because it's kind of crowded, but it's possible they think the division is still alive. It's possible they want to get some reps out of Desmond Ritter because they know what's coming up here. They've got New Orleans in New Orleans, theoretically winnable. They've got Baltimore, who could be on a backup QB. Then they've got Arizona, who knows what they're playing for, and they end the year potentially in a winner-take-all, who knows, with Tampa Bay. I doubt that'll be a winner-take-all, but crazier things have happened. And that game would be in Atlanta, by the way. The final two in Atlanta, the first two on the road. Additionally, like I mentioned at the beginning of every season, if you're not going to make the postseason, you might as well start to evaluate talent, right? Unlike several other sports where we see the veterans playing it out, playing it out, playing it out, if you have a high enough prospect, so-called, at the quarterback position, whether it be a first-round pick, third-round pick, or a guy you really like who was undrafted, whatever, 
let's evaluate that player, right? Let's find out what they can do. Desmond Ritter's going to be that guy. And uh, let's see what he pieces together. Would it be crazy to see him go on a run? I'm not sure. He's got the mobility, to my knowledge. I haven't seen too, too much of Desmond Ritter. I'm not going to fool you into thinking I'm some kind of a Desmond Ritter expert. But I do know he was one of the higher evaluated QBs coming into the draft, right? In terms of his collegiate career, he never threw more than 10 interceptions. His final year career high in touchdowns at 30, right? It was a career low in rushing yardage. He ended his college career with 28 rushing touchdowns and 87 passing touchdowns in four years at Cincinnati. Top 10 Heisman finisher. Let's see what he's got. I like this move. I like this move a lot. Speaking of moves that I didn't like that I now like, Houston reportedly going back to Davis Mills after Kyle Allen was Kyle Allen. Wow, I'm shocked. Uh, Lovey Smith, I respect the football wisdom you have. You've had quite the career. Super Bowl birth, right? NFC, quote-unquote, they don't call it penance in football, but NFC champion with the Chicago Bears. I didn't understand that move in the slightest. In the slightest. Uh, They're going back to Davis. It's the only thing that makes sense. Even if he's not the guy, you know Kyle Allen's not the guy. So might as well stick with Davis Mills and see what happens. Number seven, because yeah, why not? We lost all the numbers anyway. Uh, Odell Beckham may not even play in the regular season? Question mark? Um, kind of interesting to me. There was a rumor, and I don't know if this is a rumor or a report, but that's I'm calling it a rumor because I didn't see it necessarily confirmed, that the Dallas Cowboys were not necessarily convinced that Odell Beckham had healed to the point where he'd be able to contribute either in the regular season or at all. And then there was another report that Odell Beckham was saying, well, we're getting towards the end of the regular season. I might as well just play in the playoffs. Well, I mean, I tend to think we may not see Odell Beckham this season then. We, we may just see him next year, which is completely fine. But it's intriguing to me. And I, I love to make the jump to other sports. And I don't know if you love it or hate it, but I do it every episode. You take a look at somebody like a pitcher in baseball who suffers a significant injury, and they know they're going to miss a significant amount of time. And the, the one in mind I have is Tommy Canely, who was a reliever with the New York Yankees. He had to undergo significant surgery. He knew he was going to miss time, so he signed with the Dodgers on a two-year deal. And it was, well, you can split the money up that you would have given me for one year over the course of two years, so you're really getting a deal in the long run if you're the team, and you're also thinking, all right, I'm paying this guy to rehab, but I'm going to know his rehab process better than anyone. He's got time to learn our system. By the time he comes back, he's going to contribute, and he did contribute for the Dodgers this past season. Then he returns to the Yankees after he had rehabbed on the West Coast under, you know, not worrying about the winter snow and such, Um, which is intriguing. So I wonder if Odell had any of those sort of offers. I, I tend to think not, I guess. Or if he was content to just sit on the sideline and relax and watch football with the rest of us and intermingle with players on a whole bunch of teams because we saw him here, there, everywhere, right? Um, I don't know. Will we see him this year? I'm starting to think no. Genuinely starting to think that is not going to happen. And Odell Beckham, you know, in his career, he's played 16 games one time. 2020, he played just seven games. Last year, he wound up playing 14, starting 13 of them. He was good with the Rams, but you look at his stats at the end of the year. He ends the year with 44 catches, 
five touchdowns. All those touchdowns came during his time with Matthew Stafford, who got into a rhythm with him, and he would score pretty much every Sunday at a certain point here. Um, I don't know. It's interesting that uh, that this is the way it's played out, but I don't think we've seen the last of Odell Beckham either, to be quite frank. Additionally, wanted to get this in here. Reportedly, the New Orleans Saints were fined for what I believe was Cameron Jordan faking an injury here. I don't want to misattribute. I believe I read it was Cameron Jordan. I think this is interesting because we saw during the Bengals-Chiefs game that a Bengal player fairly overtly faked an injury as well in the red zone. And that was interesting to me at the time, and I believe we've been told that this could be punishable, but I didn't think it would be via a fine of the organization. Kind of interesting. Um, Additionally, I've been seeing this for years, and nothing has ever been done, so why would it be the Saints? Well, why not? I mean, this is the team that had the bounties, so I guess let's make an example out of them. Fair enough, I guess, but something to keep an eye on as we move into the later end, the later stages of the season and the offseason, if we're being honest. Um, more news and notes before we move into the pick portion. Mark Ingram is going to be done for the year for those New Orleans Saints. Von Miller done for the year for Buffalo, which is unfortunate news considering what he brought to that team and considering the lucrative contract he signed with that team fairly recently. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, it's time to take it into... The pick'em portion of this week's episode, my favorite part, your favorite part, and let's get started right away with an NFC North barn burner. The Minnesota Vikings heading to Detroit to take on the Lions. Excuse the sarcasm in my voice, it genuinely is a pretty important game between these two teams. I believe if Minnesota wins this one, they can clinch the NFC North. Last week it was said that they needed a win and a Detroit loss. Detroit brought home a victory against Jacksonville. Here we are. Vikings going to be without DN Jonathan Bullard with a bicep injury. Questionable, center Garrett Bradbury with a back. Offensive lineman Christian Darisaw with a concussion. And free safety Harrison Smith, big one, listed as questionable with an illness. Lions going to be without offensive lineman Coyote Awasika with an ankle injury. Linebacker Derek Barnes with a knee. And corner Chase Lucas with a hammy. Doubtful, another offensive lineman, Evan Brown with an ankle. Questionable, backup QB Nate Sudfeld with an illness. Wide receiver Khalif Raymond listed with an illness as well. Jeff Okuda also listed with an illness, and Will Harris with a hip, both in the secondary. Um, I'm going to go with Minnesota in this one, wrapping up the NFC North for the first time in a few years, even though, honestly, they've had a pretty talented team for a while here. I think this will be a big one for Minnesota, and it should be relatively easy. From the NFC North to the AFC North, where we see Baltimore, led by Tyler Huntley, heading into Pittsburgh to take on Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Ravens going to be without corner Daryl Worley with a hamstring injury. Doubtful, their quarterback Lamar Jackson with a knee, though like I said, I'm hearing all things are pointing to no for Lamar Jackson. Uh, Questionable offensive lineman Patrick McCarry with a toe injury. Another offensive lineman, Kevin Zeitler with a knee. Linebackers, Delshawn Phillips and Christian Welch and Patrick Queen. Listed as questionable with a quad concussion and thigh injury, respectively. And corner, Daryl Worley. Oh, he's listed on here twice. Well, we're going to go without for Daryl, because he's listed as questionable and out. We'll go without. Steelers listing just three, but they're big ones. Wide receiver, Deontay Johnson, questionable with a hip. 
TJ Watt on the defensive side, questionable with a rib injury, as well as another outside linebacker, Malik Reed, battling a back injury. This one's challenging because I just told you that I'm not super hesitant when it comes to their playoff chances, they being the Baltimore Ravens. However, the worst game that Huntley was listed as having last year was against Pittsburgh. I do think Pittsburgh, I mean, they just beat Atlanta, and I think Atlanta was pretty decent. I mean, they're not great, but you look at the rest of the schedule for Baltimore, they've got Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, they've got Cleveland in Cleveland. They play host to those Atlanta Falcons, they play host to the Steelers, and then they end the year in Cincinnati. I think I'm going to take the Steelers in this one, folks. I don't know, something about this game, something about the way Pittsburgh's been playing. I'm going to take Pittsburgh to pull off the upset at home. Next, the Battle of Ohio is Deshaun Watson, I guess the new leader, we can call him that, leads the Cleveland Browns into Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Browns listing just one player, a big one. Wide receiver Amari Cooper is questionable with a hip, and the Bengals listing just one. Tight end Hayden Hurst as out with a calf injury. The implication, I would assume, would be that Joe Mixon is going to return in this game after Samaje P. Ryan had a huge one. Therefore, I'm going to take Cincinnati to get revenge for the early season loss against the Browns. So the intriguing thing is they really stymied this Browns off, excuse me, this Bengals offense in their first matchup. I don't know if it was a little bit of the home field advantage, if it was a little bit of the Browns had a pretty darn good running game and their defense was was doing the job. I'm not really certain what happened in that game, but I think Joey B's got the momentum after beating Kansas City, and they're not going to let Cleveland take them down. Next, an AFC East matchup from New York. Yes, actual New York, not New Jersey. The New York Jets head out to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Jets listing just one. D-lineman Michael Clemens is questionable with an illness. The Bills going to be without their fullback Reggie Gilliam with an ankle injury and their D-lineman Jordan Phillips with a shoulder. Questionable O-lineman Deion Dawkins with an ankle and linebacker Matt Milano, pretty big one, with a knee injury. Um, As much as everyone loves Mike White, and I do think it's entertaining, and we've played this game before, I think the Jets are out of their weight class in this one. And I think Buffalo brings home the W and gets revenge for a game that they feel they should have won anyway. Give me Buffalo at home. Next, the Battle of Texas. Well, we got the Battle of Ohio and the Battle of Texas in the same week. Look at that. Um, The Houston Texans head to Dallas to take on the surging Dallas Cowboys. I'm... We'll read the injuries, but I think we all know how this one's going to go. Texans going to be without wide receiver Nico Collins with a foot injury, as well as wide receiver Brandon Cooks with a calf. D-lineman Kurt Heinisch with a shoulder, and their young corner Derek Stingley with a hammy slash illness. Questionable, fullback Troy Harrison with a chest injury, and D-lineman Justin McCray with a hammy as well. Cowboys going to be without corner Anthony Brown with an Achilles, and questionable, linebacker Leighton Vander Esch listed as an illness as well. Um, I'm taking I'm taking the Cowboys. I mean, there's there's no reason to not take the Cowboys. So let's take Dallas to win this one at home. Next, speaking of the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles head to New Jersey to take on the stumbling New York Giants. Uh, Eagles gonna be without linebacker Sean Bradley with a hamstring injury. The Giants gonna be without two O linemen Josh Ezudu with a neck injury, as well as Shane Lemieux with a toe and corner Adore Jackson with a knee. Doubtful. D-lineman Leonard Williams with a neck and questionable 
reportedly 50-50 game time decision, running back Saquon Barkley with a neck injury as well. If I'm the New York Giants, I'm resting Saquon Barkley in this game. I recognize how big of a game this could be to win for the New York Giants. However, I think even with Barkley out there, the chances are not great. You might as well have him healthier for the rematch with the Commanders. Obviously, that being said, no Barkley. Not too much of a chance here, in my opinion, for the Giants. They're going to have to just, I guess, hope that Daniel Jones finds a way. Uh, I don't think he will. Give me the Eagles to win this one on the road. Next, our last 1 o'clock kick is between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the division-leading Tennessee Titans. AFC South show down. The Jaguars listing their linebacker Chad Muma as out for this one with an ankle injury. Questionable. Fairly big one, obviously. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence with a toe injury. Wide receiver Zay Jones with a chest. And safety Andre Sisco with a shoulder. Titans, not so lucky on the health front. Uh, listing Traylon Burks is out for this game with a concussion. Another wide receiver, C.J. Board, out for this game with a rib injury. D-lineman Danico Autry going to miss this one with a knee. Linebacker David Long Jr. with a hammy. And two corners, Christian Fulton with a groin and Trey Avery with a concussion. Questionable, backup running back Hassan Haskins with a hip injury. Two D-tackles, Jeffrey Simmons with an ankle. And Tayir Tart also with an ankle. I mean, come on. It's Jaguars-Titans. You know which way we're leaning here, but allow me to make it interesting. Jacksonville? Well, no, I can't. I mean, they 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 were bad. Jacksonville was bad against Detroit. I mean, the week before they were good, but we all knew they would not be able to string that together. Maybe they can go two out of three, but I doubt it. Give me Tennessee to win this one at home. Next, our lone 405 kick is an AFC West showdown, which sounded a lot more interesting at the beginning of the year. The Chiefs head to Mile High to take on the Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos. Questionable for the Chiefs, wide receiver Kadarius Toney with a hammy, and offensive lineman Joe Tooney with an ankle. Broncos going to be without tight end Andrew Beck with a hammy, wide receiver Cortland Sutton with a hammy as well, and linebacker Dakota Allen, you guessed it, with a hamstring injury as well. Questionable for the Broncos, offensive lineman Dalton Reisner with a shoulder-slash-back, defensive lineman DJ Jones with just a shoulder, and linebacker Justin Strenad with a knee. It's Kansas City. It's Kansas City all the way. We don't We don't need to do this. Don't, don't bother, folks. Don't bother. 425, we've got two games this week. The Carolina Panthers head to Seattle to take on the Seahawks in a game that sounded really spicy a handful of years ago, and, well... It's just not at this point. Panthers, questionable. D-lineman Matt Ioannidis with a calf. Linebacker Corey Littleton with an ankle. As well as safeties Miles Hartsfield and Xavier Woods with an ankle and knee, respectively. Seahawks, big injuries. Let's see if these guys go. Questionable, their lead back Kenny Walker III with an ankle. Running back DJ Dallas, also with an ankle. Wide receiver DK Metcalf with a hip. Tight end Will Disley with a calf. And safety Ryan Neal with a knee. I still like Carolina's defense. I still like some of their talent on offense, but Seattle's just the better football team. This game means more to Seattle. I'm going to take Seattle to win this one at home. Next, it's Tom Brady Bowl, except it's kind of weird this year. No, not involving the New England Patriots. Tampa Bay heads to San Francisco. Excuse me. Tampa Bay heads to Santa Clara to take on the San Francisco 49ers. 
also at 425, as I said. The reason I call it the Brady Bowl is because, you know, Brady's from that area. There was murmurs that Brady would wind up there. There was murmurs that Brady wanted to wind up there. But then, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, whether you believe the rumors or not, either way, the reason I say it's different is because Tampa Bay's coming in at 6-6 six and six this year. This is the worst Tampa Bay team in terms of record we've seen since Tom has been there. This is the worst play we've seen out of Tom and the offense since Tom has been there. Did I say been there? Uh, let's go with it. Um, as far as the injuries go, doubtful for this one for Tampa Bay. Big one, left tackle Tristan Wirfs with an ankle-slash-knee. Both safeties, Mike Edwards and Antoine Winfield. Hammy for one, ankle for the latter. Questionable, running back Lenny Fournette with a foot, D-lineman Akeem Hicks also with a foot, and corner Sean Murphy's bunting with a quad. Niners going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo, as we said, as well as D-lineman Hassan Ridgeway with a peck, and DB Tarvarius Moore with a knee. Questionable, big one, D-lineman Nick Bosa with a hamstring injury. I mean, normally I would take Tampa Bay, especially, you told me Tom Brady is facing a team that is playing a backup quarterback. Okay, should be pretty easy. But this San Francisco team is is really good top to bottom, and I'm not certain this game is going to devolve into the shootout that Tom would really want it to be, I assume. Assuming, I mean, he's Tom Brady, and they have more talent at receiver, technically, right? You know, I like Brandon Ayuk. I like Debo Samuel, but we're talking about Julio Jones, future Hall of Famer, Mike Evans on that track, and Chris Godwin, who's really darn good in his own right. I just don't think it comes down to them. I think San Francisco does enough defensively and running the football to win this game at home. Next, the Sunday night football matchup. The Miami Dolphins head to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Um, the Dolphins, listing just one is doubtful. Wide receiver River Craycraft. Questionable. Backup QB, Teddy Bridgewater. And Craycraft with a calf, by the way. Bridgewater with a knee. Uh, also questionable, some more on the offense. Tight end Durham Smythe with a quad and a knee. Offensive lineman Teron Armstead with a toe and a pectoral. And D-lineman Justin Zimmer with a back injury. Doubtful for the Chargers. Offensive lineman Trey Pipkins with a knee. Defensive lineman Sebastian Joseph Day with a knee. Corner Bryce Callahan with a groin. And safety Derwin James with a quad. Questionable tight end Richard Rogers with just listed as an undisclosed injury. Um, this one could be fun. This one should be fun, if we're being completely honest. This should be a relatively high-scoring game, and it should come down to which offense can make more plays, and if you're in a making-more-plays contest with a team that has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, I kind of tend to lean towards that team, so I'm going to take Miami to bounce back from their rough loss last week to beat the Chargers on the road. Next, we head to Monday Night Football, where Mac Jones heads to Arizona to take on the Kyler Murray-led Cardinals. Sorry, we didn't get a da-da-da-da. Here you go. Da-da-da-da. Monday Night Football, that is. Uh, I'm not sure on this one. I'm really not. I mean, which Mac Jones are we going to see? Which Patriots team are we going to see? I'm, I'm going to default to the Cardinals in this one. I'm not going to lie. Give me the Cardinals to win this one at home. Next, we head into Week 15, as we always do. Thursday Night Football, it is an NFC Weast matchup. The San Francisco 49ers head up to Seattle to take on the Geno Smith-led Seahawks. This is a big matchup, folks. 
This has a lot of bearing on the playoff picture, whether you're a Commander fan, a Giant fan, or a fan of some team just really wondering who they're going to face in the postseason. Right? This is a big one. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you folks. I'm going to take Brock Purdy 2-0 on the week in four days. 2-0 on the week in four? No. Can't do it. I'm taking Seattle to win this one at home. The thing that gives me cause to pause is the injuries we discussed when we were talking about the Seahawks game this week. If it's an unhealthy DK Metcalf, excuse me, if we don't see Kenneth Walker, things start to get interesting. I'm leaning 49ers, but this game's in Seattle. A lot is made about what the Seattle Seahawks do at home and all that. I'm going to say if this team's a playoff team, Geno Smith and the Seahawks are going to find a way to get it done at home. Next, since, and this is, you know, this is just being proactive just in case. We're doing this week's episode on a Saturday. Normally, we're leaning towards Fridays, obviously, for the bulk of the season. You've noticed that. Just in case scheduling gets conflicted or whatever, we're going to pick Saturday's games, too, for next week in case we need to come back and hit this again in the evening on Saturday instead of on Friday. My apologies again, but let's do it. Matt Ryan leads the Indianapolis Colts to Minnesota to take on the Vikings, who may have clinched at this point, which could make it interesting. I'm going to take the Vikings to win this one at home. Then we've got Baltimore, potentially led by Tyler Huntley, taking on Cleveland in Cleveland. I'm actually... I'm leaning towards the Browns in this game. A lot of these are big question marks, folks. You know, it's a little bit easier to pick... Oh, well, it's Monday. we're picking Sunday game, and then we'll pick the Thursday game, too. Okay, fair enough. Injuries can't change too, too much in the three-day span. I mean, Lamar Jackson might be fine by then. That would impact a lot of things. If the Vikings clinch, will they go out and do this, that, and the third? I like to think with, you know, I mean, we'd only be entering week 15 here, folks. You can't rest your players for a month. They'd still, you know, go as hard as they could, right? I'm going to take the Vikings, like I said. I'm going to take the Browns. Because I'm assuming we're not going to see Lamar. If we see Lamar, we'll revise the pick. Because I believe we're going to aim for next Friday, like I said, to do the episode anyway. Um, then in the 8:15 slot, that was 1 o'clock for the Colts-Vikings. 4.30 for Ravens-Browns. Primetime, 8.15 on Saturday. We've got a huge one. AFC East rematch could determine the winner of the division. The Miami Dolphins head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. And to be honest, folks, I'm taking Buffalo. I think we might see some weather in this game, which honestly may not favor the home team, considering the way they play football. But I am hopeful, and I've said this before, I am hopeful that the Bills take away from the fact that they ran the ball 30 times against New England, and it was a relatively easy win, that, hey, maybe we can try this running the football thing. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe maybe it is the foundation of what we can do. Maybe it is a change of pace. Yes, you can, and I think they will. Give me the Bills to win that game and put themselves on the right track to win the AFC East next Saturday night. Like I said, if we haven't, if we wind up doing the show Friday, which is the goal, we'll come back and we'll repick these games. All the games but Thursday, obviously. Uh, will the picks change? We'll see. Will the injury statuses change? We'll see. But either way, that brings us to the end of this week's Pick'em portion and this week's episode. Episode number 153 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next weekend, again, for the millionth time, aiming for Friday, for the following episode. And as always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic.
signing off.